If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey folks, welcome to the Unsung Podcast. I'm Mark, that is... Chris. Hey Chris. You still don't know that? Because your name isn't your real name on Facebook. Yeah. I always forget. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark, um, we've got some really nice merchandise. Oh, do we have some really nice merchandise? Yes, we this do. This podcast has nice merchandise. And, like the colour pink. And yet, it's not all sold out. Asterisk, it can't actually get sold out because it's, <laughs> it's made to demand. But go with me in this, right? Yeah. It's a pitch. Yeah, it's not sold out. Imagine someone's listening to this right now and they haven't even they haven't even gone and looked. Imagine that. Yeah. I'm not saying that they have to buy some, but come on. Go and have a look. Just have a wee look in my bag. I know. Uh, some nice t-shirts, some nice hoodies, some other ephemera. Um, <laughs> ephemera. <laughs> ephemera. Uh, it's all great. Paraphernalia. Should we go with paraphernalia instead? Ephemera, paraphernalia. I don't know. Yeah, some Ga- nice hoodies. Gadgets. Uh, you know, I really need to get myself a pink hoodie. Do you? Yeah, the yellow one is sick. Don't the yellow one turned up in oh, Australia. It did. Got sent a photo of it this week. Well, it's winter at the moment. Yeah, so it was winter. really, really sorely needed by our man, our man down south. Yeah, we, we are uh, doing the podcast equivalent of a guy showing you the watch he's hanging in the inside of his jacket right now. But please, go to unsungpod.net. Slash merch. Slash merch. Yeah, unsungpod.net for slash merch. That is how you... Speak these <laughs> days, um, so yeah, go there and just just get your fucking merchandise. Just have a wee look. Nobody's telling you to dip into your pocket, pal. Just go and have a wee look. Just see how you feel. Browse it. Try it on. Yeah. Try it on. Well, that looks really good on you. <laughs> That's really. Oh, that mug that brings out the red in your eyes. Yeah, please go check it out. We've been really poor at promoting this, but uh, <laughs> we're well, really poor in yeah, general. Yeah, and we're part of that, as people, <laughs> and part of that is because we're not very good at selling ourselves. Uh, we're really not very good at selling ourselves. It's something that we're reminded about constantly. I quite like your podcast. Why do you? Why do you not like publicize it better? Why does nobody buy your stuff? 
I don't know. A lot of people listen to it, they just don't buy our shit. <laughs> That's the problem. That's the problem. Yeah, and it's probably you, listeners. Probably you. It's likely. It is likely you. It's statistically very <laughs> <Yeah>. probable. <laughs> no, 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 they were telling you to go buy stuff, but you're likely part of the problem. <laughs> Not that we're saying buy something new or get off my lawn, but buy something new or get off my lawn. <laughs> anyway, you join us halfway through the one album wonder mixtape. Last week we went through the first of three categories The premise being these are bands that only released one album in their lifetime Now they may have uh, compilations and live records and stuff But we're talking about one studio album Um, Okay, dipping back into our list Category 2, the bands who were really just sort of side projects or collaborations Ergo maybe more than one album wasn't likely Uh, I've got a few of these Mad Villain with Mad Mad Villainy Rest is empty with no brain, but the clever nerd, the best MC with no chain you ever heard. Take it from the Tech Nine Hola. David, don't know the next shine from Shinola. Everything that glitter ain't fish. MF Doom's got quite a few of them to be fair. Yeah, he's one of those folk. Yeah. A bit like Patton, who was prone to a wee collab. Yeah, he's, he loved a collab, didn't he, really? Um, he did The Mask and the Mouse, the Ginger Mouse and Ninja Doom record. As a nod to a blind horse, of course, his technique was from a divine source. Never knew the price of ice or what swine cost. One guy tried to bite the heat, it's when he discovered the other, other white meat. Oh, the one they hate so well. Which is a really good album, a really fun record. The keys to the cuffs is JJ doing with Janeiro Jarell. Learned from a pro as a mentor. Started with a bird nest and burnt it to a sender. Gotta get the party kicking. Plus the little charred body smelted like chicken. As the dollar continues to lose momentum, he need land for murder Indians and represent them. Gold is up. Nuruvian doing by Bishop Nyeru. If you saying that I ain't nice, you better think twice. I've been in my room psych with the mic, giving advice, plans and giving my life. He's really really a fan of of that kind of thing. But Mad Villain, we've done a whole episode on Mad Villain. Won't stick around, won't stick on that for too long. It's a fucking brilliant record. And both Madlib and MF Doom at the peak of their power. The thing I like about good hip hop collab is usually they, if you get them, if they get together at the right moment in their in their yeah. in their career, then it, it usually is magic, you know. And that record is magic. Cool. Uh, we've mentioned Temple of the Dog, uh, them Crooked Vultures. Yeah, um, the eponymous album. Yes. Why though, right? <laughs> you ask yourself why. Why it's only one album? Why did they do it? Like, what's the point? I think it's a great album. It's a good record, but like, they didn't need to. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, now I suppose this actually does fit. I mean, I'm saying, why did they not do more? Because I think it actually was a, a remarkably successful collaboration. But mm. it's fucking John Paul Jones and Dave Grohl. They're too fucking busy. Like, mm. It's very unlikely they would have the time to do another record. I get that, um, and all of their Individual projects are probably worth more money than putting their time into this one. But I actually think them Crooked Vultures turned out some of the highlights of all of their careers. I don't give a fuck about Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. so for me, it's probably the best stuff that John Paul Jones did. And Dave Grohl hadn't sounded that good in many a year.
and I think some of the best tracks on them Crooked Vultures are right up there with the best stuff by Queens of Stone Age. So, mm. yeah, it's 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 really good. Um, you can also chuck Probot into that as well. The other Dave Grohl led project, um, yep. which is just a, a revolving door of celeb beat musicians coming in and out and doing doing bits and pieces. Yep, some fun tracks. The, the one with Lemmy on, I can't remember the name of it. It's basically a Morehead track with Dave Grohl playing drums. It's fucking brilliant. Another one, a pretty obscure one, uh, Hey Tonal, with the album Hey Tonal, Hey with an uh, exclamation mark, Tonal. This is kind of headed by a guy called Mitch Cheney. He, he was in the band Sweep the Leg Johnny, a really good band. Originally it was a concept called Drummer's Perspectives that came through Cheney's work in film and television. He began to like swap out MIDI drum samples for guitar and dulcimer sounds. So he was taking drum MIDI notation and replacing it with musical instruments. I guess it's like a, a bit of an inversion of like melody drive, the rhythm and stuff like that. Um, but basically the whole project started to grow arms and legs and he was swapping these MIDI files remotely with different musicians and so there's a lot of contributions from people from bands like Joan of Arc, Dead Rider, Maps and Atlases and stuff um, and the tracks were all built up with different personnel and recorded remotely. It's actually, I mean it's something that Tool did with Melvin's on the Crybaby where they sort of sent the files remotely and didn't really know what they were going to get back mm. and that's kind of how this these songs snowballed just firing these MIDI files around yeah. and, and seeing what different people brought to the party it's quite an interesting project I don't think any of it's amazing but certainly the concept is is very novel and it does have some good moments um, The Good, The Bad and The Queen uh, with the album The Good, The Bad and The Queen Damon Albarn and Paul Simonon from The Clash. Never heard that. Yeah, I remember it was fucking all over the NME, predictably, at the time, and then just sort of sank. I don't know quite why the project ran out of steam or if it was always just intended to be a, a side thing. Um, Blind Faith by Blind Faith, uh, 1969. We're talking Clapton again. It's famous cover of like a young naked girl with red hair and face. She's holding a plane in the cover. You'll know. You'll you'll have seen it about. It's Clapton with Steve Winwood, and then also eventually joined by Ginger Baker. Clapton eventually dissolved the project because it was getting too close to being another cream. Apparently, I'd like to add in Heaven and Hell here. Yeah. 
um, Heaven and Hell to Black Sabbath album with Ronnie James Dio on it. Uh-huh. And then in 2010, um, or 2009, I think the record came out, decided to get together, basically who was Black Sabbath at the time, which is Tony Yomi. Tommy Yomi. Tommy Yomi. Tony Yomi. Tony Yomi. Tony Yomi, yep. Uh, and and Giza Butler. Butler, yeah. Just because Gerard Butler. Um, <laughs> yeah, so basically all thought together with Johnny, Ronnie James Dio to do an album and a tour, and the album's called The Devil You Know. Black Sabbath were back to being a going concern. If not, there was definitely some kind of legal shit going on with the name. Yeah. <laughs> um, There's always so, yeah. legal shit going on. That was like a one-off thing. I think it was maybe one of James Dio's second last ever recorded records. I think. I think he maybe had another one after that before he died. Uh, Atoms for Peace, a mock. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. What are they? What do they count as? I could never tell with Tom York's side things. You know, he's got like, was Atmos for Peace meant to be like the same as Tom York or their Razor or? I think at the time in names the press, just kept changing. Was he not just saying that it was basically that, that was the name for? I think that was the name for his backing band, and then he decided to make it an actual band. Um, and I think that's what happened. Did we cover this in our Razor episode? I think we maybe did. I, I don't know. We did an episode on the Eraser. Yeah. Go and listen to it. We should. Um, <laughs> and then I think the last one I've got here is Ceylan. C-E-L-A-N. We don't spend any time um, they had an album called Halo. And it's, it's Chris from Unsane and a guy called Ari Myers of Einsterzende Nubalten. It's a collaboration and it's fucking great. Really good. I was sent it when I was writing for a magazine years ago and I gave it a really glowing review because it's got all that crunch of unsane, some really good riffs, but then it's got really weird electronic passages that bring something really different to the proceedings. It's, it's a really fruitful collaboration, I think, Yeah, and worth checking out. You want to hit us with another record, Chris? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I will. Am I going to go first this time? Yeah. Okay, let's do Midnight Masses and the album Departures from 2014. Now I've got the record actually, the vinyl sitting over there I had never heard of this band And I went to a record shop one day With, I don't know, 25 quid in my pocket Determined to buy something And lo and behold this album pops up As I'm flicking through And it's got a sticker on it That has, here's who's in this band And I was like, fucking hell That's some good people in that band And I just bought it on spec And it turns out that It's not a brilliant album but It's it, really not It's it, really, it has really boring some, <laughs> But it has some really good moments on it So just to backtrack a bit It's co-founded by Jason Reese And also has regular contributions by Conrad Keeley Both from uh, And you will know us by The Trail of Dead Yeah, 
um, it also the, the group featured Gerard Smith and Jaleel Bunton of TV on the radio Gerard Smith's death in 2011 nearly led to the end of the project, apparently. Um, at one point, the band featured 14 members mm-hmm. in one sense or another. This record came about five years after the precursor EP, which was called Rapture Ready, I Gazed at the Body. The project's kind of headed by somebody called Autry Fulbright, uh, who does the, the vast majority of the vocals here. Uh, Autry Fulbright came from a religious family, and the album is really preoccupied with that and his father's early death. His dad was a preacher. And funnily enough, Jason Reese from Trail of Dead, his dad was also a, a, I don't know if he's a preacher, some sort of minister. Um, so that's a kind of recurring theme in the project. And reviews are all sort of along similar lines that the album is sonically diverse to the point of being pretty erratic. Incoherent. Incoherent, yeah. Um, as I say, it's not an amazing album, but it does have some great moments. The main issue for me is that the band seem to have so many ideas, and that's perhaps a result of having so many fucking members and influences, that they never settle into any sort of vibe. It almost sounds like a good compilation by a label that has a loose remit more than it does an album by a sort of particular yeah. band. It's so incoherent to the point where a lot of it just becomes beige and that's a shame because there are good ideas on it and there are a couple of good songs on it. Yeah, it, it, the pro- it mentally makes you jump from different places and you never get into a flow with it. And there's bands that have varied albums but they manage to have a thread of consistency in it. With this album it sort of pulls you out of it too often that you end up missing a track because you've just get swept up in a kraut rock song and then the next one's this kind of weird funky thing and you're like, I'm not ready for that yet. Um to just skim over some of the more interesting moments on it, Golden Age, the first track. From a certain place in time, how I longed for the lighthouse where I left you as I sail through the dark, missing night. It's a very cool, very chill, self assured indie song. A little bit beige, but well done. Um, I think the second one's great, Am I Nomad? Save Gothic. It's, it's a very unusual song Aye It's it's got a semi-frantic Kind of flurry Of very reverby energy I think the reverb Is something that makes it Quite gothic It wears its Trail of Dead Drum frenzy stuff On its sleeve You know how Trail of Dead Do these really frantic Drum parts That probably shouldn't work But do um, This really does that as well But that's all couched In this much dreamier production Though And I think the TV And the radio aspect Is kind of prominent In, in that production um, I think this song in particular has a much stronger, more yearning melody to it than a lot of the stuff around it. Um, there's a hint of angst that runs through the instrumentation and the fact that the choruses straighten out. Why, 
allows you to really get into them you know it lets the the, the listener focus on the melody for a while instead of the energy mm-hmm. of the stuff around it weirdly the third track after it all goes black very different song melancholic it's not overdone though no it's not overdone it gets a lot of attention in the reviews I was reading through various reactions to this and that one's one that gets picked out it does also remind me of that tendency that Trailer Dead had to kind of sling in a sort of waltz beat shanty with abandon Um, it's a good song does it feel like an intruder I mean in hindsight it seemed like more of an intruder than it actually does when you're listening to the record yeah Um, but it's still quite distinct I think the fifth track in it, Departures, is sort of like a Krautrock version of Pink Floyd. It's got some really retro synth lines on it that work quite well. Um, a, a real low light for me is Clap Your Hands, sixth track. It's this weird inner city funk thing. It's quite upbeat given the subject matter of the record. Yeah, you know? it jars to me. It, it's got a Bruno Mars fucking quality. Well, it's like the fucking Doobie Brothers one. Um, the, the only other highlight I would really give them some credit for is uh, the, the 11th track, There Goes Our Man. As a closer, it's pretty strong. It kind of feels a bit like a more gospel-laden Fleet Foxes or something. It's bigger, it's a bit more romantic, and it's sort of true to that preacher theme that runs through it, you know? But there's a lot of incongruous stuff as well Yes No, I'm, I'm being unfair actually The track Everywhere Is Nowhere Is probably about as noy as a non-noy band can be It sounds like something that Noi would have put out And it's it's good But again it just doesn't really feel like it fits So ultimately the whole thing's just a bit scattered And it's not crazily scattered I mean it's not fucking madcap like a concept piece um, I think in my memory it seemed a bit worse than it was actually On closer examination But the consistency in mood Or sound even Or the underlying quality of the songwriting Isn't what it could be that said, I think there's enough excellent moments to suggest it's a band that could have gone on to maybe establish a more consistent sound and potentially turn out something pretty special. 
And it does also feel like one of those albums that, see, when we're analysing a band's back catalogue and you refer back to an album that's patchy as fuck but had some highlights on it that gave you a hint that they had greatness, I get the feeling this could have been one of those albums where they went on and did a great record and then you looked back to this album and were like, oh yeah, look, there's the signs of Mm -hmm. their great ideas. But as it stands, this is their only album, so we don't have that. Maybe they've got another one in them, but I think it's unlikely at this point, especially with such a big group of musicians involved. I agree, yeah. I, I found it really difficult to hook onto it as a result because it just kept pulling me right and left. And It's interesting though, as again, as a curio, the people that are assembled on it, I, I just bought it on the merits of that wee sticker, by the way, proves that those stickers fucking work. work. And I, I don't regret buying it. I mean, I've actually, the, the, the tracks on it that are good, I have given heavy plays. Like, mm. I do really like them, but it's yeah. annoying having to go up and change a vinyl. Yeah. Skip the bad <laughs> tunes, you know. Yeah, that's not what vinyl was made for. It was made for the, the considered listening <laughs> the experience. Through, yeah. um, what am I going to go for next? I'm going to end in a bang, so I'm going to go with Nail Bomb next. <laughs> Are you going to end in a bang, so you're going to go with Nail Fucking hell, okay. Yeah. The reason I'm going to end the bang is because the last record that I picked after listening to it, I realised how much I adore it. Oh wow! And I really wish that we did a whole episode on it. But I don't, I don't <laughs> think there's much more banging than Nail Bomb. Yeah, but know? we've got one more after this, so okay. This is a great record, right? Point Blank, Point 1994. Blank, 1994. This is Max Cavalera and the guy from Fudge Tunnel, Alex Newport. Alex, Alex Newport of Fudge yeah. Tunnel. Yeah, I really like Fudge Tunnel. Mm. Yeah. I haven't really heard them to be honest mate So I couldn't really tell you what they sound like Is it recommended then? Aye, aye They've got a really good cover of Cream's Sunshine of Your Love as well But this is uh, This was a, a One album, one gig project <laughs> Really um, Two gigs Two, oh, two gigs They managed yeah. two gigs yeah. a, a, pre, a warm up gig then, then the actual gig And then Yeah they did a warm up show <laughs> Was it June 95 They did a warm up show Two days later They played at Dynamo With all sorts of famous folk As well on stage And then disbanded uh, And then that <laughs> performance was immortalised in a live album called Proud to Commit Commercial Suicide. It's like a concept project. It really is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why it didn't continue, why it didn't work out. Weird though, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, in 2017, Soulfly toured this album mm-hmm. Soulfly were playing it I think they had uh, Max's son Igor, Igor. Junior mm-hmm. uh, on guitar and Alex Newport wasn't involved in that at the time so there's loads of really interesting trivia I mean Dino Cazares played in the record and so did Igor Cavalera when they played that festival they had a bunch of live guests uh, Christian what is it Wolbers Anders, something yeah. Wolbers he was in Fear Factory Fear Factory yeah. yep. Evan Seinfeld for Biohazard Dave Edwardson of Neurosis and, and one of the guys at Dead Kennedys, the one that's got the initials, who I can never remember. The record itself, so it's thrashy and kind of chunky hardcore, but it has a really strong industrial quality to it. And but, a lot of groove as well. Yeah, it does. It's got a bit of groove metal to it. I 
I think the recording and the sonics make it sound a bit like prong or killing joke, mm-hmm. kind of later killing joke, the industrial feel. A lot of that's probably to do with the guitar tones and uh, some of the effects that are used. I think uh, the drums triggered because I mean, otherwise there's some seriously fucking processed tones. I think they're really processed because I've noted that in places they actually do sound fake, but they also sound played like trigger drums. Like it sounds like it could be a dynamic trigger though. You know, yeah. you can get decent kits. Yeah. That, but Back then in again, ninety-four though. Yeah, I suppose. Um, It's decent as a record I can imagine it's really nostalgic For a lot of people You know And I think you're right It does sound like it merits Being a proper project It's it's, it's a good one But I get the feeling as well That a large part of this album's appeal Is down to the fact Of how it happened Mm -hmm. Yeah The recording itself It's pretty erratic man Like some of the tunes Sound really squashed and industrial Mm -hmm. And others sound really dynamic And really punky Mm -hmm. I mean I picked a few out Wasting Away The first one A great riff, a real thrash riff. That I love. I love that. It's got a pure Slayer solo as well. Do you know that was in uh, the movie To Die For? Was it? Yeah, the the film with Nicole Kidman. So there's a scene where Joaquin Phoenix is holding a ghetto blaster and he's sat in a wall next to Casey Affleck, both really young, and they, they're dressed in some sort of like Lost Boys punk appropriation <laughs> outfit as a new teacher Nicole Kidman walks by and their jaws drop open um, and it's also the the track Entering is immediately preceded by a weird little monologue by Joaquin Phoenix about how he feels the need to jack off anytime it snows <laughs> um, I think this was all it was directed by Gus Van Sant so I suppose he made that call including the track on the soundtrack mm. I never really gave a rat's ass about the weather until I got to know Mr. Meadow now I take it very serious if it rains, or there's lightning or thunder, or if it snows, I have to check off. Uh. Oh, right. Sorry. Um, the third one, 24 hour bullshit. I think that's a pretty impressive and meaty cut in this. Has a, a really mix between thrash and industrial, I think. This yeah, one. and it's mm. really bombastic. Big impact song. Yeah, I like the trade off between Max and Alex's voice as well. Max handling choruses. Uh, yeah, it's cool. I, I, one thing I, I really like about Silver Children, I like about Max Cavalera, and obviously all of, all of Max's projects have it, but because he's Brazilian, right, just the way he says English words <laughs> is sometimes just great. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think if you listen to a lot of the stuff he does, like, yeah, it's way he says 24 hour bullshit. It sounds like a, a demon saying it, you know? It's pretty cool. <laughs> Sometimes I think they sound like Arnie. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, track five, Blind and Lost. It's one of the screamer, man. Uh, it's one of the punkier tracks here. Totally different feel to it.
like it's like a really well captured demo or pre-production or rehearsal tape even it's like there's something very alive about that one uh track eight man for fuck's sake for fuck's sake gg allen samples from a talk show <laughs> so just good. before he died man um and i guess the polar opposite i think of track five uh track nine world of shit it's just like a chunky grid-like format much closer in ministry or prong including the use of vocal samples leaves their punk and thrash comparisons pretty far behind. It also sounds very 80s in its mm. production, you know, which is odd because it's 1994 and there were definitely better sounding records within the reach of the people that are involved in it's this. It's on Roadrunner Records, which... That's a budget. Is, yeah, you know, yeah. That's, even, even in the early 90s, that's a budget, you know. Yeah, yeah, so I'm surprised. Like, it honestly sounds like it could have come out 10 years prior to when it did. And that's odd. I don't know if that's maybe also part of why the project didn't persevere. I, I'm I'm not really sure. Yeah. It's a cool it's a cool record though. I can really understand how people would be really attached to it mm. because of that, you know, yeah. special one off fucking almost like art project concept vibe to it. I liked early Sepultura and I hadn't revisited this for a long time. Um and it hasn't quite as held up as it did in my memory, to be honest. The highlights you picked were the ones that I picked out, but I also quite liked Villages Cancer. Even though it's a typical anti-religion metal bollocks that a lot of these <laughs> totally, fucking bands yeah. do, man. <laughs> the um, track listing in this album is like a pure teenage totally, diary, totally, isn't it? Totally, man, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's just when the drums sound really triggered and it's a really nice feel alongside that sort of thrash. And Sick Life actually sounds like a Pantera song. It's got southern fried riffs. I like that too, but yeah, it's a bit all over the place in a good way. It feels it feels organically all over the place. Like they're just chucking like we've got all these fucking ideas, man, and we need to do something with them. They don't really quite fit in our other bands. So what the fuck are we going to do? We just do this record and see what happens, you know? And yeah, yeah. it turned it no bad. It did. It, it, it turned it. It's, it's not as good as I remember it being. I'll, I'll be honest. But when it hits, man, I think it's up there with some of the best stuff that Sepultura certainly ever did, riff wise, in that era. Yeah. Okay, back to our list and the the short final category, which was the category of people that sort of changed their name either after an album or for a particular album. So start with a band called Tarantula AD and an album called Book of Sand. So this, this band only had two other EPs um, and I remember seeing them around about 2005 at Nice and Sleazy in Glasgow and it was fucking heaving and I did not know why everybody was there. To be honest, I don't even know why I was there. Mm. Right? It was one of those gigs where you ended up at it because everybody was just sort of like, where are you going tonight? Oh, I'm going to this show. Where are you going tonight? Oh, I'm going to this show. Why are we going to that show? Because he's going to this show. <laughs> Everybody's talking about this show. And you just ended up at this fucking show, watching this mad band do like fucking distorted cellos and shit. <laughs> the 
they were a really interesting project, but totally off the wall. Mm. And I, for the life of me, have no idea why so many people knew about this fucking gig. It's not like there was some super cool person in the <laughs> band. Yeah. Anyway, they after this record, they changed their name to Priestbird, which is a fucking terrible name. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they continued for two more albums, but I never really heard from them again. Um, the band Viet Cong uh, and the album mini album Viet Cong 2015 became a band called Preoccupations which is also a fucking terrible name Do you know it's quite interesting right it's a wee side this is going to take you off your stride a wee bit here but it's, I need to fucking shove it in on it in somehow you cram it in um, did you read the review on the skinny for the Midnight Masses record no so do you know what, do you know what review is right underneath it is it Viet Cong <laughs> there which, you go. which were published which, which was more by, than a year apart which was by me yeah by you which were, were published I don't know why they're together on the same page because like they, are, they were literally published a year apart I don't fucking understand why that, that is there creepy, but that it? is really weird that is weird man <laughs> um, yeah so uh, I reviewed this album and I really like this album And uh, <laughs> what? Yeah, you did. Yeah, I know. I know. I did. Uh, uh, it's in print, but uh, controversially, I didn't rip them to shreds for their name. But the band ripped themselves to shreds. Uh, it was around about that time when band names were a seriously fucking hot topic, and people were just changing them right, left, and centre. Uh, Viet Cong. Yeah, I mean, they decided to change their name. I get that it's slightly provocative, but you know, I kind of thought that was the point. But yeah, so they became Preoccupations, and it's a fucking awful name. Um, Tetra Splendor, and that's a wee indie band from down south. I think they're actually Welsh. Um, they had an album called Splendid Animation. I've mentioned it on the show before because I think it showed amazing potential. All these other interesting ingredients, like bits of Radiohead and but even bits of like almost like Cave In and stuff like that on it. Oh, loads of Beatles on it. Help me, help me, Johnny B. You're the only cat with Mr. Fishy. Can you give us all a guarantee? Uh, but they then changed their name to People in Plains and they got very slick. Very quickly, they made a real grab for sort of mainstream success, and I think they just lost it. Despite it be- being the same band mm-hmm. that I'd really enjoyed prior, something just shifted, and I think something shifted in their ambition. And the name change in that band was to do with the the change in ambition, maybe, uh, and the drum, Diskin. which we did an entire episode about. So the drum stand out here because they were already called China Drum and then after two records changed to the drum and then changed back to China Drum Mm -hmm. for this very different sounding record. (laughs) 
and I still quite like that as a move and I really really like that record I want to just say that we will get to that um, Oh we've got an interview yeah, We will get to talking to people in this band about this record <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, just totally. need to fucking remember <laughs> I need to just remember to do it I will get on it in the post. I apologise boys <laughs> So yeah uh, The only other two things I made a note of Were first of all Just for a bit of a laugh New metal bands That only released one album Because fucking hell man <laughs> That was such a Tasty period man Such a flash in the pan phenomenon Tasty period yeah uh, I've got a wee list Now I'm only going to cut in two samples of these Right Mark Why? But You <laughs> are going to get to pick the two So I'll read out the list Okay Is Dry Kill Logic one of them? No it's not um, Atom Ship the Dead Lights, Down the Sun. It's Down the Sun, that's one of them. Drag Pipe, Factory 81, Fly Banger, <laughs> <laughs> Lollipop Lust Kill, Oof. No One, Pulse Ultra. Pulse Ultra. <laughs> That's like a strong lagger. It's like a fucking energy drink. <laughs> Sinistar, uh, Stepa. Stepa. Uh, Twisted Method. Twisted Method. Union Underground. And Psychodelic. Oh, Psychodelic. I think they're still going, mate. Um, so, how do you pick just two from that it's one? Down the Sun, list? definitely, and the Union Underground. Both are dreadful bands, and I remember both those bands. So, they're the ones you want? They're the ones that I want. You don't want Flybanger. And you don't want. Like, I don't think it'll be as funny. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want lollipop lust kill. Put in four. Put in four, mate. Lollipop lust kill, man. I can see Do you know what you should do, right? If you can do it, this is, uh, like if 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 Chris can't do it, hopefully somebody who's listening can do it. <laughs> Psychedelic were in a BBC documentary. Are they? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The singer, I think, one of the guys in the band. About Doctor Who. No, about music in in Scotland and the new metal scene in Scotland. I think it might be on YouTube. It might not be, but they were in it and they they ended up getting a wee bit of quote unquote fame as a result of it. If anybody can, I think the sing, I think the guitar player. Who's quite prominent in it Maybe went on to form Another band afterwards Who I think became Cerebral Boar Aye I think the guitar Very good band I, Yeah I think the guitar player Ended up going on to form that band I don't know if he's in the band or doing Psychedelic led to Cerebral Boar I think the guitar player From Psychedelic oh, man, That's a up, phoenix for the flames that's, Ended up yeah. forming Cerebral Boar Yeah Um, a band, by the way, that I have advocated for in terms of the fact that the Scottish hip alternative press wouldn't give them a fucking mention, even when they were hugely rated around the world as a, an alter- like a, a metal band. 
you're going to do. Um, okay, and just a final little thing here for Food for Thought. Bands you wish had left it at one record. <laughs> <laughs> Burning Airlines. Mission Control, the first wow. album, an absolutely fucking stellar album, and they followed it with uh, Identicate, which is Pish. Um, Head Swims, Flood. Which you won't know what the fuck I'm talking about, but trust me, mate, it's in the post. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Icarus Lines Mono. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fucking tremendous record, and record. nothing they did after it really did it for me. Uh, Polisa. And the album Give You The Ghost It's maybe something we'll cover one day But I am so reluctant to cover any of our other stuff Because it's fucking shocking But the first album's good And we already mentioned them Death From Above And also they should just have fucking shut up yeah, should They should have put it the first album existing. Yeah and then just Vanish. fucking shut it yeah. Go and open a fucking hardware store <laughs> Somewhere remote in the Rockies mm. um, Yeah uh, That brings us to our last choices mm. Mark this time you're first Yeah so non-profits Non-profits, yeah. as in P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S yes. uh-huh. Hope 2003 this is, 2003, this is Sage Francis, this is Joe Beats and this is Jay Mekalik uh, It's a blast from the past as well, Sage Francis, early days of yeah. that song, was it episode 20 or yep. something like that? I almost picked this record for that episode like I said earlier on, it's one of my favourite albums of all time. Wow. Um, you know that Joe Beats Wiki says he is best known as producer for non-profits? Yeah. He vanished after this record. I don't know why. Um, uh-huh. DJ Mechalek, I don't know if that was a real person or just Joe Beats or Sage Francis just doing turntables or right. a pal. I don't know if that was a real person or not. But yeah, Joe Beats, uh, he'd been producing a few things, but this was like, I think this was his first actual album he produced maybe. Um, I'd done the odd track and this the whole point of this project was Sage Francis and Joe Beats doing a 1990s hip hop record It sounds like it. It yeah, sounds so like a high quality. Going for the retro yeah. thing, yeah. Sounds like a high quality nineteen eighty hip hop record. So it's really difficult to describe. I mean, people who like who like hip hop from this era, which is early two thousands, will probably know what I'm talking about. But there's a lot of records from that era, particularly indie hip hop, underground hip hop, which have this really weird kind of almost lo fi sound, but not quite. It's like they're using like really cheap DAWs, you know what I mean? And they're not, they're not yeah, maybe yeah, not doing yeah, mastering yeah, properly or something yeah. like that, you know what I mean? Um, it feels a little bit underproduced, but it's kind don't of part of the Don't cut the, the corners in your mastering, kids. Yeah, don't do that. 
Get I've that le- budget in thirds. I've learned right? that. I've learned that. Recording, yeah. production, and mastering. Mm-hmm. But I first heard the record we did for, for Sage Francis, which was a healthy distrust, was the first thing I heard by him. And then the next record I heard was this one. And then I went back to Personal Journals, which is Personal Journalist, sorry, which was the record that came out just before this. Is I know I'm supposed to change the world and all. Looks like the world got to me first. If you can't beat them, join them. Hurt the team by beating yourself. I'm different. In a different way, the only thing that stays the same is change. While people claim their states, I state my claim. Sage Francis made a name for himself. For the record, my mother calls me Paul. It was his first proper solo record. He'd done a bunch of mixtapes before that. This is just Sage Francis at the peak of his powers. He just won a lot of battle rap awards and all that. The Scribble Jam. So he'd be, he'd become really quite well known for being a good battle rapper. That fire and that power is totally unleashed in this record. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also Sage Francis playing a bit of a character a lot of the time, and there is actually a character on this record called Saul Zan, um, who does revisit throughout his career, who's like the biggest fucking sleaziest creep in the world. And there's a song in this called Saul Zan's Heart, which has got some of the most outrageous fucking lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> but it is brilliant. Um, respect the broccoli cock. It's a really funny one. But he, like, broccoli cock? Yeah, he's, he's, he's a really weird guy, Saul Zan, you know. But My Heart Is Beating Your Face, I think, is the hook in that song. Um, yeah, it's funny. It's a funny song. And this record really plays into that kind of De La Soul, A Tribe Called Quest, Jazzy Soli kind of hip-hop vibe, not not, yeah. the, not the gangster rap kind of stuff mm-hmm. that was going on with the more kind of ag- abrasive production. You can hear it in some of the percussion as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of groove. Uh-huh. A lot of groove, a lot of really nicely chosen samples. For me, there's only one bad song on the record. It's just banging after banging after banging. Some of the wordplay on it is brilliant. It's Sage Francis working in a way that he hasn't really worked in since. He's trying to have fun with it and be less serious. And he's quite a serious rapper, really. Can I ask which is the bad song? Bad song? Mainstream 307, maybe. And maybe Spaceman as well. Interesting. Maybe two songs okay. that I didn't think were. Uh, that would probably take off the record. So, see, I noticed in the wiki entry it calls this the first album by. Which yeah. kind of is, is interesting because it sort of suggests that it's still a going concern. Yeah. I mean, and you're obviously very effusive about it. Uh, Pitchfork gave this a 9.2. That is fucking high for a Pitchfork uh, it's, rating. It's, that's um, <laughs> a, they called it a highly valued reminder of the need for traditionalism in modern music. This album stands strong as one of the year's finest. Complex, uh, which is a publication from New York, uh, placed at 28th in the 30 best underground hip-hop records of all time. And Paste had it uh, in the top 12 of hip-hop records that deserve more attention. I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, it's hip-hop, right? What the fuck do I know? I'm kind of out of my wheelhouse here. Um, I'm imagining things. To me, it sounds quite white. There's something about it. Feels white. Mm. Um, I thought the third track, Damage, which was a single, was a really interesting one. It's got yeah. t- Tetris sample in it.
sings about Fugazi and Minor Threat. Mm-hmm. There's a Cold Chamber reference in yep. it. Uh, one, <laughs> nothing wrong with me, two, nothing yeah. <laughs> wrong with me. Um, and also the chorus in it, Damage, uh, I think it's a John Spencer's Blues Explosion reference. Song Damage by John Spencer. He still plays that live. Whenever he plays it live, the place goes off. Yeah. It's just brilliant live, man. It's really, really good. He's actually playing his first UK shows in a long time in September in London and Manchester. I um, wonder if you'll try and go to them. I'm going to try and go to the Manchester one because he stopped touring. He stopped really, do- he was just running Strange Famous. It's actually quite interesting. He makes the Fugazi his label. Th- yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's really interesting. He makes the Fugazi main threat reference because Strange Famous is a DIY label and it's very much of the punk ethos. You know, it, it put out Joe Beats, though, didn't it? Did it? See, I think Shane Famous came around after this record. I'm sure um, there was some connection there, though. But no, that that's probably my, one of my favourite songs on the record, and one of my favourite songs of his, period. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the fifth one, Disasters, was an interesting one as well, sonically especially, and in terms of arrangement. You need to shut your kids the fuck up. Word up. Trying to get some writing done on this motherfucker. Check <laughs> it out. Perhaps when I have one of my own, I'll sing a new tune. But this song is called Disasters. It's about your two-year-olds. I sing for a living in funeral homes. I don't take it's quite uneasy and weird, and it, it, it deliberately weird. breaks up its own flow. Mm-hmm. Doesn't allow itself yeah. to get too steady. Wipe your eye, baby. I may have busted off a couple times inside, but that ain't my... Baby, kicking on original flavors, dumb ish. Like Jay Z trying to impress Chip Fu with a tongue twist. I diggity done this, diggity done that. I kiggity kept the style in my arsenal, thinking that it would come back now. He's obviously playing like a bit of a character in that, and some of the lines are really, really funny when he's talking about kids. And it's interesting, man, because he was saying in interviews and stuff for years and years and years, he was never going to have kids, and now he has three <laughs> one which he has with his wife, and then two which he's a stepdad of, you know. It's just funny how things change, you know. Um, I like that song. It's got the it's got the toy gun samples. It's a clever record. This it riffs on the nineties very well. Um, it adds in a lot of originality with samples like that and like Tetris and stuff like that. The turntable is is really really good. It calls out fucking Rick Rubin. It's got a direct reference to Beastie Boys and I don't buy Chiba or Moet. It's got that 90, easy 90s flow and a hook, which is pretty much De La Soul all over. You know that N O N P R O P T H T S thing. That's like a total thing. It's all Zan's heart. It's probably one of my favourite songs as well. It's, it's all Zan is just like the world's worst guy. Looking at my broccoli, it's about that time. Polishing the nasty cauliflower patches till they shine. So rocks. Try to have phone sex when you call the cops. The holes are too small. Got these huge ball spots on top of my head. Emerging like a wanted eye. The beat is so playful. His flow is really braggadocious. It's very in your face, very confrontational. Says Francis is sending messages and rapping about like like fragile and toxic masculinity before anybody was really talking about that, particularly in hip hop. The bit about how we, I will remove the cross that dangles in the cleavage of every Christian chick who thinks her tits are saving Jesus. It's just a really funny, really funny line. A song full of really funny lines. Half shark, alligator, half man, half amazing. It's a total reference to Naz. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really, really good. New World Order. So really complex wordplay in that. He often will do things where he'll take, tie together common phrases. So there's a, a line, Wanted Dead or Alive from New York, it's Saturday Night Fever running high. And obviously he's referencing Wanted Dead or Alive, it's live from New York, it's Saturday Night, Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, um, it's, do- it's like dominoes, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and he does all, that song, is, this song is full of that stuff. 
Tolerance level. Started a flow, making this music wrecking shop like a retarded vocational student. Didn't know it at the time that the shit made me look stupid, rocking pro black rhymes. Oh, but the devil made me do it. I never gave two shits about rocking new kicks. I ain't the type to wear something just cause the shoe fits. I make moves quick. Talks about the emo rap shit at the start, which Sage Francis, when he first came out with his first album, was called Emo Rap. Um, so it's like a kind of takedown of that And then the next song, The Cure, is an emo song basically It's like all about how much I love this woman And it's like a really nicely considered song With some of my favourite lyrics that Sage Francis has ever written Don't deny that sick feeling in your stomach You can't run from it Let it guide you into high view Then move beyond the summit From peaks to valleys, feed through alleys If it's done quick, you'll have the time to find the caves Where days were never sunlit Discover scriptures made by a society of blind men Really nice couplets and some really clever imagery, you know I just love this album, man. I just adore this record. Yeah. Uh, my notes are an album, are an episode's worth of notes for this record. Like I got that vibe. <laughs> um, and I had such a I had that feeling inside when I listened to it for the first time. He's like, man, still still gets me, you know. And that's a record I heard probably fifteen years ago. And it's special when that happens. If you like hip hop, you'll love this record. If you like nineties hip hop, you'll find a lot to love here. It does sound a bit white, but I think that's part of the charm. I like that people that say Francis and B Dolan and all that they do sound white because why wouldn't they? Yeah. You know, that's no, true. Anyway, you probably didn't like it so much. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel underqualified to critique yeah. it, to be honest. Yeah, it's a go back to that uh, YouTube beer channel analogy. I'm yeah. like, it's beer in it. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much my muchness. I thought you me. would quite dig it though, because because it, it feels a bit more unusual. It's all right. It's all right. You've played hip hop stuff that I like more. Over to me. Over to you for the final final one. My uh, final gambit here is uh, handsome. Handsome by handsome by handsome. Formed in 1995, had two non-album singles that year, then two singles in 97 plus this album. Um, I think his name's Peter Mengid, I think. Mm-hmm. Mengedi, Mengid. He was kicked out of Helmet in 1993 <laughs> by Paige Hamilton and formed a band uh, with a focus on songwriting being a shared duty and experience. Probably tells you what it was like to be in Helmet with Paige. Supposedly the name comes from the Tar album uh, of the same name. Um, they wanted to push back against macho names in the scene at the time, like Sick of It All and Biohazard and stuff like that. Amazingly, they originally toured when early Deftones, so that's back in 1995, uh, before recording this album with Terry Date, who recorded Deftones, but obviously also recorded Pantera, Soundgarden, Prong, Slipknot. Um, after the release, they toured with Silverchair and, get this, Less Than Jake... In the USA, mm-hmm. uh, and they toured with get this Wu Tang Clan and the Voodoo Glow Skulls. Holy fuck! In Europe. <laughs> Fire in the dance hall. Fire in the dance hall. Nobody knew <laughs> what the fuck to do with this band. I mean, when you hear this. They toured with Wu-Tang Clan, Less Than Jake and the Voodoo Glow Skulls. Doesn't make any sense, man. Uh, There's so many other bands from that era they could have easily have toured. But yeah, yeah. I mean, Silver Chair <laughs> makes perfect sense. Yeah. Absolutely, that's fine. Somebody was paying attention, right? Uh, but anyway, they played the Warp tour and then disbanded, citing internal tensions, probably because they were like, 
what the fuck? How did we end up in a Wu Tang Clan tour? How did we um, end up in Warp tour? <laughs> um, they had been working on new stuff, but were able to leave their contract with Epic due to a technicality, really, because one of their members quit, and that kind of got them out of the contract. Jeremy Chatelain joined Jets to Brazil. So I got stoned till I thought this house a home. When I came down, I found myself. Oh, okay. And then went on to actually play with Helmet in one of the later incarnations. Eddie Nappy, the bassist, played with the Mark Lanigan band. Kerrang placed this album as one of the 12 most underrated albums in the 1990s in a poll. It seems to be almost exactly like a mix of Far and the band Cared Dog. The Irish band That's interesting. I, I really thought it felt like probably because of the members like Helmet playing Quicksand well that is a very very frequent reference I make <laughs> yeah. later on as well at one point I would say Far and Kerb Dog somewhere in there was my sweet spot for sure I liked chunkier stuff than a lot of emo but not as boring and monotone as a lot of the post hardcore stuff like maybe Snapcase Snapcase were a cool band. I liked them for about five minutes, but then I, I was like, "That's enough." I don't so need- quite less as a yeah. screamer. So yeah, I'd classed them a lot with like aftertaste era helmet and manic compression era quicksand. The more melodic mm-hmm. side of it. Um, it is heavy but it's very cleanly produced which gives it a sort of pop clarity despite all the riffs and it also has a strangely post-punk shoegazy quality to it I think it's to do with the guitars sometimes maybe the process and then it reminds me of things like Band of Susans It felt to me like that band had real ambition. The songs are quite bold and it's sometimes very anthemic. Like they're really reaching for a sort of memorable sing-along quality. In terms of just skimming through some of the tracks, the second one, Ride Down. I think is one of the best examples of, of what I'm describing with some really quite quasi-romantic vocal melodies and a nice double-timed pre-chorus where mm-hmm. it, 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 it feels like it speeds up without the BPM changing. Track 3, Going to Panic, has that perfect helmet meets quicksand blend. Yeah, 
you know, there's some listeners to this podcast that will definitely be a chef's kiss moment. Um, it's also got a nice switch of tempo for each chorus that kind of kicks the riff onwards. fifth track thrown away is a real highlight for me proper post hardcore angular verse that resolves with quite an anthemic chorus yeah That track, I think, definitely had arena potential as far as sing-alongs go. The high melody that's in it, and I can't tell if it's either a really affected guitar or a synth, is a really nice touch as well to break up that sort of rectangular riffery that's going on, the stodginess. That tune's a total head bobber. The sixth one, Dim the Lights, was always my favourite back in the day. I like that song a lot, man. Yeah, it really hits the ground running. direct, it's meat and potatoes, kind of grungy post-hardcore. The only thing is I think it maybe hasn't aged all that well it feels a little bit too obvious now. I think a lot of this album does very much feel of its time and when it hits it feels like it's really good of its time and sometimes when it doesn't it feels as though yeah, it's, it's a bit, bit, bit flabby. bit flabby, aye, that's probably the word mm-hmm. aye. The seventh track, Lead Bellied um, Heaviest Rift in the album Heaviest riff. Yeah, love, yeah, love that song. Yeah, it goes really deep into the sort of Betty aftertaste helmet totally, territory. Yeah. yeah, with those staccato dropout riffs, you know, yeah. those ones mm-hmm. that let the drums sort of skate across the gaps in the guitar. The only thing with that song is it lacks a chorus to go with the riffing. Yeah, you know, it's true. Uh-huh. Um, the eighth track, My Mind's Eye. That one has always summoned to me thoughts of like Simple Minds and some of this sort of bigger 80s stuff, maybe Killing Joke in That's some ways too. The riff so, is Cashmere by, by Led Zeppelin. Is it? Yeah. Right, so it's, it's got that swirly, chorusy guitar effect yeah. mm-hmm. and it, it makes it feel quite 80s to me. I mean, Simple Minds, for example, were not the pop band that everybody associates with Simple Minds. I mean, their early stuff is very post-punk and quite noisy. Mm. Um, yeah, that tune is a sludgy, sore and pop thing is weird and counterintuitive, but I think it's one of the hookiest moments. It, it, it's safe to say that this album is too long. Yeah, and it especially, falls off after that. Yeah, especially around about that point, absolutely just sags. It should be winding up there. I think maybe actually the 10th track, Quiet Liar, that would have been a good point, maybe. Very post-teen emo track, you know, and 
everything but the haircuts and it is a bit cringy I guess in hindsight but it would have been totally acceptable as a closer I think on any band's debut album it's definitely 10 minutes too long at least this record yeah you know. and, and that's it and unf- it came from an era you know 95 we've spoken about this before when more was more mm-hmm. people were paying for CDs and they wanted a 50 odd minute plus album mm-hmm. whereas especially because the songs are quite similar and it's quite stodgy mm-hmm. it's quite a lot of potatoes to eat you know totally. I like potatoes but there's too many potatoes. There's, there's a limit of potatoes. Yeah, there's a limit have. of potatoes, and I think that's not really something that had been uh, perfected. Yeah, but it wasn't a thing for yeah. p- particularly major label acts in the nineties. That said, though, you listen to that album, you listen to that band, and again, it's got that quality of I could imagine it being the previous album to an album that we were doing an episode on, where you're like, oh, and if you go back to this one, you can hear the good moments starting to arrive, and then they get the formula. And, you know, the album's shorter and there's better choruses. They just never did that. The, the band sort of dissolved. And when you look at that touring schedule and stuff as well, like fucking Wu-Tang Clan and Less Than Jake. Imagine going around the States with Less Than Jake and imagine going around Europe with Wu-Tang Clan, even though, don't want to, like, look a gift horse in the mouth, those are amazing tours. But what the fuck is that audience going to think? What is a Wu-Tang audience going to think of Handsome? Mm-hmm. Who books that? Who honestly thinks that's doing the band a massive favour? Because it's exhausting... You know, it's going to like create that tension within them. You know, how, how much merch are they going to sell? It's, it's really odd. And you, you wonder why they gave up. Well, you know, even though they got into a major, I don't think it necessarily sounds like it did them any favours. It feels as though they could have had a little bit more time in development of their sound as well. You know, it does seem to come out of nowhere because they'd had pedigree. Um, yeah, it's a, sh- it's a shame. I, I think you're probably right. It would have been a, a band that would have probably gone on to create a really great record. You know, maybe maybe the next album, maybe the album after that. Yeah. You know, um, I think maybe by the two thousands, they might may have actually hit the Sweet formula spot. in the yeah. head. You know, what can you do? What do you think of it overall? All right. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, the, the songs that you you picked out and the ones that I picked out are definitely the highlights. It's definitely too, far too long. And when I see what I seen, it was nine, when I knew it was nine, I knew it was a nineties album because you spoken about it before. But when I seen the the length of it, I was like straight away. I was like, before listening to it, I was like, this song, this album's going to be too long. It's going to have some really shoddy moments. Then if you look at the play, the play counts on Spotify. It, like the last tails few off. songs tail off quite substantially. Absolutely. You know, yeah. It's funny as well because it's not one of those ones where the bad songs are sort of scattered around the middle. Like it really is. Like they've put the best six songs in the first sort of eight, and then after that, they're just like, right, stick us on, stick us on, stick us on. It just sort of seems like an afterthought, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, like I said, even though I do feel as though it's obvious era, like it feels still feels a bit fresh as well, you know, because there's some ideas in it which are still being used today, yeah. There's there's nice ideas in it, and that post punky guitar thing and stuff, the 80s quality to it was different for bands like Helmet and stuff, so mm. but there you go, aye. That's that then. One album wonders um, If you are listening to this And screaming at us Because we've not mentioned Your favourite obsc- One album wonder Then hit us up Let us know We'll do another one Yeah Post on whatever Social media you care to use Send us an email Write it on a rock Throw it through our window Or Even better Pay £4 a month To listen to this podcast Which we put a lot of work into And tell us how shit we are to our face I get access <laughs> to our uh, AAA pass And then you will be guaranteed An answer and it'll be grovelling Because <laughs> you're paying for it Yeah That's what Therefore you're paying deserve for. that Yeah <laughs> Do whatever you want For four quid a month For reason As long as it's worth Not within reason <laughs> Out with reason Out with reason um, uh, Next week Next week Hot Snakes In memory of Rick Froberg back. The late Rick Froberg 
Get some fucking Rick Froberg in your ears this week. The man didn't do any bad records, not that I'm aware of anyway, uh, and he has some absolute belters, and two of them in particular are getting focused on, although I'm sure a lot more will get passing references next week. Uh, So join us for that. Thanks for listening. Um, Yeah, take care. Bye. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.